One of the things that the Holy Spirit does in uh, the church to build the church, and that's what we've been talking about this year, is that the Holy Spirit navigates the church through conflict. The Holy Spirit navigates the church through conflict. And we started this year talking about Jesus uh, declaring that I will build my church. And uh, we see in the book of Acts how Jesus begins to do that. And he does it through his Holy Spirit. And we've looked at a number of things and uh, don't have time to recount all those. But I want to focus in this morning at the prime example of how the church dealt with conflict. conflict and it's going to be in Acts chapter 15. And we want to talk this morning about how the Holy Spirit navigates the church through conflict. Um, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 15. Uh, it occurs to me, and this really piggybacks with Byron's sermon last week, that the story of the church in the book of Acts is not a straight line story. It's not a simple, well, the Holy Spirit was doing this and this and this and the church just kept growing and everything was going great and everything was perfect. Um, we learned last week, in fact, it's one of the dominant themes in the book of Acts that persecution comes. And so I want you to put this morning's sermon in relationship to that and understand that uh, sometimes the challenge for the church to be built comes from the outside persecution sometimes the challenge of the church comes from inside and we see this in the book of Acts not only is there persecution on the outside but there is conflict on the inside one of the interesting things to me is that the conflict that arose in the early church didn't come out of the failure of the church. No, the conflict came through the success of the church. The success of the church brought change, and that change created conflict. Please understand, conflict is inevitable in the church but the Holy Spirit is there to navigate the church through the conflict and as we will see this morning in the end make it better than it was when the conflict began our scripture text is going to be uh, in Acts chapter 15 this morning I really need to set it up uh, so that you understand the context of Acts chapter 15. The issue in the early church that created the conflict as we read the chapters that lead up to Acts 15 relates to how the church would relate to the non-Jewish people that were being added to the church. So I described that it was actually the success 
of the gospel and the church and their witness uh, that created this because there were multitudes of people that came. The issue became when those people were not like <laughs> the original people of the church. Uh, it's kind of interesting we use this term Gentiles. Um, when you go to uh, the Greek New Testament, the word Gentiles is literally the word nations. Uh, but for some reason we, I don't know, we, we translate it Gentiles. But understand in the Jewish mindset, there was us, the Jews, and there was them. So it's us, and then there are the nations. All kinds of different people, but they're not us. And so when the gospel starts, the city of Jerusalem, the followers of Jesus, Jesus, they're all Jews. And the, Jesus comes as the Jewish Messiah. They believe in him. They are saved. The Thousands of people come to faith in Christ, even the first day. But we see that as the story unfolds from chapter 2 to chapter 15, there are more and more people that come, and, the, the, and it's building, quite honestly. It doesn't happen overnight. In fact, I don't, I don't know ex the exact dates. I'm supposed to know this. Um, Acts 15 happens in the year probably 49 AD um, and so the church oh boy you got to be careful when you start train of thought I'm supposed to know this uh, I think Jesus was uh, that's bad when I say I think I think Jesus was uh, crucified about the year 30 don't have time to discuss that this morning make an appointment with the church secretary if you want to know why that chronology works that way it's fine I'll meet with you this week um, so almost 20 years have passed, get it. So this, this has been coming and it, is, it has been building as the gospel spreads further and further. There are more people that are not like us. Uh, you get this in Acts 6. Uh, the Hellenist. The Greek-speaking Jews complained against the Hebrew-speaking Jews that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There was kind of just a, a little bit of a rub early on. It's kind of like, ah, you people that are more a part of the Greek world and are not like us Jews that are here from Jerusalem, y'all are a little bit different understand in the Jewish mind that there was no social interaction between Jews and Gentiles but there was a wall of division that it existed it existed for centuries this is the way they lived let me let you in on a little bit of secret Jesus knew what was about to unfold because Jesus was the one in Acts 1 8 he said they wanted to know how this is all going to play out. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said it. Now this gospel is going to go to all the peoples of the world 
but they really weren't listening. In fact, it took persecution in Acts 8, as Byron spoke about last week. In Acts 8, 1, because of persecution, they're scattered from Jerusalem. Uh, by Acts 10, Luke devotes Acts 10 and the first half of chapter 11 to the conversion of the first purely Gentile believer, a man by the name of Cornelius. Don't have time to tell the story. Uh, but Cornelius is a Gentile in all respects. He is not a Jew in any respect. And God breaks down that wall of prejudice with Peter. And he, anyhow, whole story. Acts 10, lengthy story that Luke gives to it because it's very significant. It's a pivotal point in the book of Acts and the progress of the gospel. I, I don't know, I'm not going to read it this morning. I think it was in my text, but I'm not going to read uh, Acts 11, 1. Uh, Acts 11, 1 through 3. So God breaks down Peter. He goes and he preaches the gospel to Cornelius and Cornelius and his household are saved. And I, 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 don't, know why, I don't know why I like this. Maybe because I'm sick that way. But it's like the church calls Peter in. It's like, hmm, we hear that you were going and you were eating with Gentiles. I'm thinking, Peter's like the man. <laughs> He gets called in. And so it's building. There's a rub here. Um, the end of Acts 11, another funny story to me of how Antio the church of Antioch, it's like these people that were spread because of the persecution. They're preaching the gospel, but they're only preaching the gospel to Jews. And then some who haven't been instructed properly just begin to share the gospel that people, with people that aren't Jews. It's like, listen, didn't you know? And Luke really records it that way. It's like they didn't know any better. It's like we thought this was for everybody. You know, and the Gentiles get saved and the church of Antioch has started. And because of the persecution in Jerusalem, the gospel goes out. Antioch becomes the center of Christian activity so that when you get to Acts 13, I'm going to get to Acts 15, trust me. No, it's coming. It's coming. Maybe in the last five minutes, but we're going to get there. We're going to talk about how to deal with conflict this morning. Uh, but in Acts 13, that church of Antioch that had a Gentile Hellenistic component to it, they are led by the Holy Spirit to send out the first missionaries. No, we want to go, we want to send people to places where people have never heard about Jesus before. And Barnabas and Saul at that point in the story are sent out. And so the end of Acts 13 and 14, we're getting close to 15, you can tell, can't you? 13 and 14, they go out and they, they go to modern-day Turkey, uh, really where Barnabas is from and where Saul is from and beyond. And the story is the same every place they go. They go, to the, they go to the synagogue and they preach the gospel to the Jews and some believe, but after a while the Jews become mad at them because of what they're preaching and they go and they begin to preach the gospel to Gentiles and a church is formed. Yes, of some Jews, but also of some Gentiles. Let me just tell you, it, this whole conflict in Acts 15 is just simmering. It's simmering under the surface. But the missionaries, Paul and Barnabas began to lead Gentiles to faith in Christ and they come back and they report probably they get back to Antioch in the year 48 
And so that when we get to Acts 15, about a year has passed. Let me tell you what was going on between Acts 14 and 15. People were talking about this whole thing about people not like us that are becoming a part of the church. Okay, that's the best I can do to set up Acts 15. Um, this is a lengthy story, but I'm <laughs> and I'm going to make quite a few comments in verses one and two, and then we're going to we're going to press through the story. But Acts 15, verse 1, and just follow with me. I ask, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've got to let you know how it kind of comes out, though. And the key to the whole story, sorry, is in verse 28. I don't even know, Jeremy, if we can get to verse 28. Like, boom, isn't that amazing? So in the midst of the story, and we're going to read 33 verses this morning. We're going to press through it. But in verse 28, when they've dealt with this conflict, notice what they say in the letter that's sent back to Antioch. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's my contention this morning. That it was the Holy Spirit that was navigating the church through conflict so that the conflict was not destructive but it was constructive let me let me tell you what the punchline is going to be this morning the holy spirit has for conflict to be constructive instead of destructive this is true in the church this is true in life the holy spirit must control our words our actions and our attitudes. That is how the Holy Spirit navigates the church through conflict. 15.1. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. The men are not named, but they come from Jerusalem. Uh, notice it says they come down. You always, um, Jerusalem's at elevation. It's high. It's in mountains. So you always come down out of Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. These men came out down from Jerusalem and they came to where? Antioch where Paul and Barnabas in the, the center of activity is. Um, I googled it this morning because I didn't know. It's 300 miles. Just make a mental note. These boys traveled 300 miles uh, and what do they say? They make a statement of principle that says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These men contended that Gentiles must become Jews in order to become Christians. 
They had to. They must. They're going to say it again in another way. That it's going to say it's necessary. They traveled the 300 miles to Antioch to make this point. But I would contend this morning that it was not just that they were making a theological point. They were making a personal point. It wasn't just that they were talking about this in principle. They were talking about the personalities involved. They could have made this point in Jerusalem. They didn't make this point in Jerusalem. The reason they went to Antioch is because Barnabas and Saul, who were the face of Gentile evangelism, they were the issue. They wanted to make the point to them. And they were willing to travel 300 miles. I don't know, in ancient times, if you could travel 20 miles a day walking, it would have taken them over two weeks to get there. But they came. I want you to understand this morning as we talk about conflict, that conflict, we have to understand this, there is an interpersonal dimension to conflict. It is not always just about principle or theological um, points. There are personalities, there's, personal, there's a personal uh, dimension to conflict. Now these guys would say that they were making a, a, a point, but I would contend if you read between the lines and you know the context, they were being personal here because they went to where Barnabas and Saul were to make the point Always be aware in the midst of conflict that there is an interpersonal dimension to it. And what I would contend this morning is that we have to check our hearts. Because the flesh will lead us to personal attacks. Do you hear me? Sorry, that sounded like a parent, didn't it? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to speak to you as children. Do you hear your pastor this morning? Thank you, Trent. <laughs> there is a personal component. There are personalities involved, really on both sides. There are personal feelings. But it's seldom that conflict is simply about the principle that has been brought to the surface, uh, the flesh in Daryl Smith, and I would have to assume in you, will lead us from the principal side to the personal side. What the Spirit will do to navigate us is this, the Spirit will help identify those personal feelings in our lives and will help us to stay focused upon the principle. Tasha, there was a wise man who once said, truth without love is just a weapon. A wise man once said that one time. Um, understand when you are dealing with conflict, you have to deal with those feelings. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, we have to deal with the principle there, but we also have to deal with the personal dimension to that. The spirit of Jesus is a spirit of truth and love. The principle here is, 
if you speak the truth but it is not in love, it, it violates the Holy Spirit. If you can't say it in love, what's my phrase here? I want to say, yeah. Uh, shut up. Kids here. Shut up. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Get, until you can get to that place in your life where this is, I, I would say the men that came, they did not love Paul and Silas. They were there to drive a point uh, that they thought was principle, but there was personality involved. Oh, we must press on, verse 2. Uh, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, I love the way Luke records those things. It was a big dissension, but he says it's no small dissension. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. When it says they determined, at the, in the middle of verse 2, it refers to the church of Antioch because it said that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit led them to the proper action, which is we need to deal with this conflict openly and constructively. This needed to be, this needed to be laid out. We needed to have, we needed to have a family get together here. And we need, everybody needs to talk about what you think, how you see it, what your feelings are, instead of Invariably what the flesh will do in our hearts is we will deal with these issues behind the scenes, which is manipulative and is counter to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth and love. And so they were led by the Holy Spirit and said, listen, we don't even need to talk about this among us because not everybody's here. We need to go to Jerusalem. We need all the leadership, all the church. We, just need, we need to get together and we need to talk about this. This is not true in all conflict. There is some conflict that is private. And you keep it within the realm of those that are involved. But in this case, it was a serious enough matter is that they had to bring it out in the open and they had to deal with this openly and constructively and not behind the scenes. When I deal with things behind the scenes, it is an expression of the flesh in my life and not an expression of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. Uh, and we're just going to have to read for a little while. Uh, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria Describing the conversion of the Gentiles. This is Paul and Barnabas. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But, verse 5, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. They make a statement of principle, a, a theological statement. 
Verse 6, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And I'm going to read this in just a minute, but please understand, this is pretty much a public setting in which they said, as I described earlier, that we're going to deal with this conflict openly and constructively as opposed to behind the scenes. And what happens is they are going to allow people to share their perspective in a respectful way. Communication is very important. And so first Peter uh, speaks. Now, Peter's kind of got a dog in the fight because of the Cornelius. And he's somewhere, if you just, if you place, <laughs> in every conflict, people pigeonhole people. It's like, what side are you on? Mm, what side are you on? Peter's dead set in the middle. He's kind of the man. He's the Jewish man, but he's also been involved in the conversion of, so everybody's looking, it's like, he's the man. It's like, well, let's see what he has to say. And he talks about this Cornelius episode, verse 7. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But, and notice this statement he makes in conclusion. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Hmm. Peter speaks. Well... Now the Gentile side of the dispute speaks because it says in verse 12 that Barnabas and Paul. And it just summarizes that and it says, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Okay, Peter's middle of the line, he's spoken. I don't know if you want to call this right wing, left wing, I don't know. The right wing, uh, no, they're the left wing. Left wing, Paul and Barnabas, they're kind of the new, new thing. Uh, they speak. What I want you to understand, when we come to James's words in verse 13, James represents the other side of the argument. He represents the Jewish side that says, no, he, when he stood up to speak, they finally went, yeah, he's one of us. He's one of us. He's going to speak. What we have, I, I can't, uh, if you go to the story in Galatians 2, it kind of alludes to this, uh, verse 11 or 12 in there, where it talks about uh, James representing kind of the Jewish side of the church. Um, understand what I'm, the point I'm making is that it was, dealt op it was dealt with openly, constructively, and all sides were able to share their perspective in a respectful way. So verse 13, then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas. I'm sorry, verse 13. I was on 12. 13, and after they had become silent, 
James. This is James, not the brother of John, because he's already been martyred. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who writes the book of James. James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Then he says after his quote of that scripture, known to God from eternity are all his works. And then here is his conclusion, conclusion, verse 19. Therefore, I judge, this is his conclusion, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. He states his, his conclusion related to the theological issue, the principle, I agree with Paul and Barnabas and Peter, that if you're talking about the theology here, this is right. You don't have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. But then the next verse, he does not violate that theological principle, but he makes a practical concession. And so he says in verse 20, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Oh, I don't have time really to dig into this. He makes a practical concession in which he says we need to relate to the Gentile people that come to faith. There are things that are particularly offensive because of our Jewish background and out of uh, their sense of unity uh, with all of the brethren. They ought to abstain from these things. It's not a theological thing. It's not about salvation. It's, it's just practical. And I think this is masterful. Because there's a point in this argument where one side is about to win. Be careful when you win, you don't just like, mm, oh, we won, stick it to you, we won the argument. Sorry, that's just Daryl Smith, isn't it? Yeah, y'all are going, we don't feel that kind of anger, Brother Daryl. Uh, do you understand the wisdom in which he says when James could have just said, no, the line is drawn. You people are wrong. We are right. He says, the principle is this, but there is a practicality to this that says, listen, you guys don't need to be doing things that are particularly offensive to the Jewish brothers and the sisters. Be considerate of them. In verse 21, for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Um, I want to say in the church the resolution of conflict is not about winning but it is about unity. And sometimes there's a middle ground in there 
that says, yes, the principle is this, but the practicality needs to be exercised in this way. And so it says they came to consensus in verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church. Notice what they do. To send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they wrote this letter to them. I want you to understand in the midst of the conflict that the decision is communicated clearly and effectively. And they write a letter. You know why they write a letter? They want to make sure the verbiage, the talking points, the truth is, is not, no, no, this is not word of mouth. We're going to write a letter. But sometimes, and we need to learn this when we text and email people, you can't always tell inflection of voice, tone. So when my kids, and when I say okay to their text, I just mean okay. I'm not saying, well, okay. Understand? I meant, okay, no, it's fine with me. I'm good. Are you mad, Dad? No, I'm not mad. I just, I said, okay. I'm sorry. So what do they do? They send the letter, but they also send people. Not just Barnabas and Saul, but they send two people from among them so that they can discuss. And this is, this is the intent. This is the spirit behind this. It's not just a written document. I have to read this and I have to close. Verse 23, they wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord in unity to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They butter up Paul and Barnabas a little bit. These are our beloved ones who've risked their lives for the gospel. We acknowledge their work. They are your leaders. We acknowledge them. Verse 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. And here's that verse, verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter... When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And then verse 33, the ending. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. The Holy Spirit navigated the church through conflict because the Holy Spirit controlled their words, their actions, and even their attitudes. 
and you don't necessarily see this, but the end of the story is the church continued to flourish. Conflict is inevitable, but the Holy Spirit will control our words. If the Holy Spirit will control our words, our actions, and our attitudes, the church will come out even stronger than it was. Amen? Which few would stand with me this morning? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Brother Shane, the music team's going to come and we're going to sing our hymn of response. After that song, Brother Will and I, the pastors, will be at the front. Uh, if you have decisions to make uh, related to church membership, baptism, salvation, uh, if you need someone to pray with you, then we'll be here at the front. Father, today we, uh, we trust in the presence of the Holy Spirit, Father, to be building your church. And Father, I pray that you would make us especially attuned to the Spirit in our life so that, Father, you can do all that you want to do, not just the church universal, but, Father, in your church local at Huntington First Baptist Church. So, Father, we surrender ourselves to that. Pray that you'd lead us and you'd guide us, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.